This is the Women Emerging Expedition Podcast, so you can follow the ups and downs and the roundabouts of the expedition and play your part in them. 24 women started on the 28th of May 2022 on this virtual expedition that will take nine months. We are women from across the world determined to find an approach to leadership that resonates with women. We'll be successful so that women the world over will be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Welcome, 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 Julia Middleton Expedition Leader. Over the last few weeks, we've had a lot of requests and interest and emails and thank you to everybody who've sent them in about really, really practical bits of leadership. The two most common questions that you've been asking are one is how do you lead in situations of trauma? And, um, and the second one is how do you... <laughs> How do you lead really difficult performance meetings with a member of your team? So the trauma issue we covered big time in episode 32 two weeks ago with Erin and Elsa, who both run schools that hit huge traumatic problems and listening to them talking about how they dealt with it and the practical things that they do, did was fascinating. This episode is very much in response to your second question, which is how do you lead really difficult performance meetings with a member of your team where, the, where there is an issue of performance and where the temptation is, is to duck it and not actually have the, the conversation at all. So I chose for this episode two women who are both incredibly direct and incredibly clear leaders. The first is Karen, whose background is in large corporates. She's run divisions with thousands of people and companies with thousands of people. She's a really, really um, clear, concise thinker, uh, as is Monica, who's run very, very large schools, who's been the leader in very different situations, but both of them, as you'll see, have very much the same messages. So I thought with Karen, I would go through sort of loosely what you need to do before the meeting. And then with Monica, focus maybe on what you do during the meeting. And Karen is very, very, very clear that if the difficult conversations are ducked, you build up problems for yourself as a leader, that you must not avoid performance issues. You've got to deal with them, deal with them professionally, clearly and honestly as a leader. Over to Karen. Sort of have this line that if we ignore difficult conversations, we're mortgaging the future because those problems don't go away. And if we don't discuss them, we don't address them. And if we don't address them, they continue. We start with ourselves because your motivation for that difficult conversation needs to be pure. Um, it's quite easy to get wrapped up in why you're having them. Do you act, is, is the person actually wrong 
or do you just think your way is better and you want them to do it your way? And those are two very different conversations. You know, do you genuinely care about the person you're speaking with or do you just want to win some ongoing tit for tat feud between the two of you um, over whatever it is you're just discussing? Do you want somebody to just like you? So you avoid the conversation and you, you pussyfoot around and you don't actually deliver your message because you're scared of upsetting them more, you know, emotional roller coasters we go on while we're having them. So, you know, it has to start with you, right? No matter who you're talking to and what the difficult conversation is, you start with yourself first. Why am I having this conversation? What is the goal I want to achieve as a result of it? And then what is the groundwork I have to put in so I can make this conversation happen? as painlessly as possible. People tend to run from one meeting to another, they sit down and then they just blurt and they've not actually thought through what they're going to say and how they're structuring it. Not with a script, scripts are unhelpful too because the person you're sitting down with doesn't know their lines. So you having a script is useless, but knowing what it is you want to get out of it. And then if you then know and you sit down, there are two parts of this, what makes them go wrong and what makes them go right? right? Be telling ourselves there's a victim villain story, you know, I'm the good person, you're the bad person, that does not help a conversation go right. Using the script doesn't help it go right because they go off piste. You know, you don't need to project onto them, oh, this is so hard for me to say, and I wish I didn't have to say this to you, and I can't imagine how you must feel right now. Like, those don't help, right? Wrong. And then there are things that make them go very right. Like, how do you frame it, right? How do you actually set up a constructive conversation? How do you fact gather ahead of time? How do you find the right words in the moment? How do you manage the exchange so it goes smoothly? And then how you manage poor performance. I think that's something we all constantly avoid. And in that spirit of mortgaging the future, the risk of not dealing with an underperformer is you actually lose a great performer because they get fed up of carrying the weight. Tell me a bit more about what, what you do and how you think and how you get yourself ready. Because it it really is not easy, is it? I think the first thing that you, um, again, is this notion that it starts with you. Um, Did you clearly set up in the sort of boundaries of the department and in an individual's performance plan what the expectations of them actually were? Because if you didn't articulate any of those things, The person may be sailing along doing what they think is expected of them, but it's actually not. And so before you even have a conversation about performance, you have to look back at yourself and go, did I actually set this up right? Is the person clear on what the expectations are? And so if you're going to have a conversation with somebody that isn't performing, then you need to be able to look at that standard you set, assuming you, let's assume you did set it and it actually is clear and it's in their performance review that there's a certain expectation they'll achieve certain goals. Um, Then you need to be able to clearly articulate what parts of it they're actually missing. And so, um, for example, if they were supposed to, you know, manage a specific category or teach to a certain level or um, you know if it's nursing and they have to be there for certain shifts you know what is the thing they're not doing and you need multiple touch points of them not doing it so um, you know hopefully in this process and to your point it should never be a surprise when you land in a performance review and somebody tells you your performance is actually not to standard or to where we want it to be Hopefully along the way on those weeks when you perhaps have been 
late too many times or even if you have a, an issue at home and there's a very valid reason why you haven't been there you know have you had a line of communication have you spoken to the person have you helped them problem solve you know if it's a skill thing for example and they're just not getting as much work done as their peers have they been properly trained right you have to have been offering them through the process opportunities to improve and get better so let's take it that we've done all this and now you're clear that with your colleague, a discussion about performance is not going to be a surprise. How do you then start the conversation? I, I say these are the areas and these are the observations. How do you feel about that? And I, and I pause because I think it's really important to give the person you're speaking to time to respond. I think the urge is with difficult conversations that we just want them over quickly. Right? We just want them done. And then the person's had no opportunity at any phase and you've, you've just dropped all this new information on them um, that they don't have a chance to respond to the individual pieces. So I always pause after the, this is the situation as I understand it. And I've always been glad I do because occasionally you get a surprise. Occasionally you get that story from somebody who you know, just blows you away. You know, I've, I've had a situation where I found out that uh, this person's sister-in-law had been mentally ill and she'd had to take care of two children and she had no setup for that. She didn't have children of her own. Um, she had to get the children in school. She had to do all of these things. And she'd just been trying to manage it on her own and, and make everything else work. And as soon as I heard that, we were able to pause the conversation and go, ah, this is new information for me to absorb, right? How can we help you? Now I understand what's going on, but it's rare that that's the case. As a leader, how do you give people dignity when you have something pretty grim to tell them? I think that is a great question. I think it goes back to that, you know, what's your motivation for having the conversation? Is it pure? How do you set up the conversation I would never have, I, the last executive job I had, I had a glass fronted office. Everybody could see into my office. There was, you couldn't miss anything that was happening in my office. So I never had those kinds of conversations in that office because it's a goldfish bowl. And so if you get the bad news and, you know, I've had people get emotional um, I've had people get angry. I've had people want to express their emotions. I feel like they should have a safe space to do that. I would always book meeting rooms. We had a series on the ground floor that were all frosted and I would always book a meeting room. So I think that the person can then, you're the only person they're showing that to. And it's small things as well on the, just on the meeting notice thing. I actually would book the meeting for sort of 15 minutes longer than the meeting was scheduled to take just so the person could stay there for a bit afterwards and compose themselves. I can't imagine anything worse than having a difficult conversation with them being told, well, you know, the people who need the meeting room are right outside. So you, you need to get out now, right? Like small, small details like that can make the distance the difference and then letting them talk I think letting people voice their emotions giving them a safe space where they can say what they're feeling I suppose the biggest thing is to remember this is all about them not you absolutely 
Absolutely. Because you probably got very stressed before you've had the conversation. And so actually, as you prepare, you sort of go more and more into yourself and into the misery of having to have this conversation, which means that in a way you're preparing yourself rather than preparing them. Yeah, there is a re- there is a real risk if your intention is not pure going into that meeting. I would very I know it sounds silly, but um, at one of my jobs, we had a big um, it was a big building, like it was a huge building, but it was paved all the way around the outside. And so sometimes before I would do those conversations, I would actually just go outside and just walk around the outside of the building and just reground myself a little bit. I can feel my feet on the floor. I can feel the sun on my face. I can feel the, you know, breeze in my fingers and just take that breath before I would go in and have the conversation. Because you're absolutely right. If when you go into those conversations, you're very, uh, you're very fixated on how it's going to go for you, then you're not going to do what's best for them. And avoiding these conversations and avoiding doing, what's the damage? I mean, I mean, most people avoid these kinds of conversations. What forces you to actually do it? Yeah, so I am a great believer that, you know, the universe will keep teaching you a lesson until you learn it. Uh, and so, you know, all you're doing is mortgaging the future by not having the conversation. So if somebody is not performing or you feel your personal relationship is not working or you feel like your relationship with your child is deteriorating or all of these relationships, if you don't have the conversation that stops them, they will keep going in that direction and the the disconnect will become bigger and bigger and bigger. And so, um, you know, organizationally, what that looks like is it becomes harder to get what you need from the person and if you're human and in a hurry and under pressure from your own board and senior and leader you start going to the person you know is going to deliver and what actually happens is or what can actually happen is the great person will leave the organization not the person who's struggling because they realize they're picking up all the slack they're doing all the extra work they're the person you always come to And they're getting paid exactly the same as the person sitting next to them who is not doing any of those things. And so, you know, organizationally, you start to, it poisons the well. It starts to poison the well if you've got um, people who aren't either aligned with the culture or not performing um, and you don't address it. It It becomes really difficult to manage. Karen's thinking takes me back to long lists of my mistakes. Sometimes because I I did everything I could to avoid having these conversations because, um, frankly, because I didn't want to upset people. And and the avoidance actually ended up upsetting people even more and even more people. But, um, but But I think I've been guilty of the opposite too, of sort of jumping in too quickly to a conversation because it's weighing heavily on me and I and I and I want to get through it. So I started ill-prepared and ended in a mess. Yeah, it's happened to all of us. The um, expression, though, will stick with me. Uh, we can't afford to do that. 
I also think we can't afford to do that because it's not right to question somebody's performance in your own head and not share it with them because then you don't give them the opportunity to turn things around and, and, and put things right and and succeed in the job. Anyhow, let's move on now to Monica in this rather tough tough episode looking at pretty tough issues. Monica is, as I say, just as matter-of-fact as Karen, um, perhaps even more matter-of-fact because uh, clear in her mind is that she can't afford to mortgage the future because if she does so, the kids in her school will lose out. So she is immensely focused. But as I say, with Monica, we we talked mainly about how to actually run the meeting, having looked at the issues of how to prepare for it with Karen, how to run the meeting. We sort of developed a list of the things, the approaches that you really, that you mustn't get, that you mustn't take. Here goes. One is babbling, just talking so fast to try and get it over with. Second is confession. It's mm. really hard, but it's even more hard for me. <laughs> the third one is fast forward. I just want to get to the end of this meeting yeah. and, and I want you to get you out the door. The next one is the long drawn out. Mm. The, the introduction goes on forever and ever and ever, by which time the other person has either collapsed with <laughs> stress or exhaustion. <laughs> the other one is um, I do all the talking and mm. I just talk and talk and talk. Mm. And, then, and then the last one is as soon as there's a tiny bit of resistance, I collapse and give way. How about we go through some of those? Do you agree? Have you got any more that I've missed? No, I, I think I think you've hit you've hit some of the big ones. Let's go through them. Firstly, I shouldn't babble. Yes, be succinct. Be sure you have the example, the implications of that behavior on students or on parents or on their team because sometimes it's because of a teacher team issue. And then what you see is the path forward. And so you need to talk about the past, but then you reflect on, then you really focus on what happens next. What's the future? Um, I think that's very important. And for me, um, we, I grew up in a home where English was not the the only language spoken we spoke a, a whole lot of another of Portuguese right that's really I consider my first language so I always find it's helpful for me as a second language learner to plan what I'm going to say and sometimes it was just a couple of minutes of some key points I wanted to be sure other times I actually had some notes in front of me other times if it was a really tricky meeting I would go to one of the assistant principals or to my head of school I had a really star head of school at my school in Dubai, many great heads of school, but he was really something. And uh, his expression was, are you in the zone? I'd say, yeah, I'm in the zone. And that was after I had rehearsed with him, right? So I was ready. So whatever your technique is to be ready, 
you want to be ready. And the more ready you are, the better prepared, the better you will be able to be succinct and clear and give examples. Yeah. So no babbling. No babbling. No, no confessing. No. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I have worked with wonderful, really wonderful educators, teachers, teacher assistants, secretaries. I mean, everybody. I've been so fortunate. And even within that context, people didn't come in my office to hear my problems. Honestly, they really, you know, they really didn't. Like sometimes I'd have a personal relationship with people or, you know, somebody would say something and happen and I'd say, oh God, I really understand that. And I could sympathize, but no, really, they're not there to hear my problems. That's my job. Now I need to have people I can talk to and maybe it's a spouse or a partner or other colleagues or yeah, you have to have somewhere you can go and vent. And, and I, sometimes that would be my administrative assistant. And I'd say, oh, I had a really bad day. You got to really protect me today, right? But I didn't need to tell anybody else. No, no, I, I, I just don't feel that's, that's appropriate. Got it. So the next <laughs> one is, is the fast forwarder. Who fast forwards everything. So the reason I think you need to be very careful about that is this is pretty heavy stuff you're sharing, right? You're talking about someone's performance in their job. And so if you're rushing somebody, I think the message you're giving them is this really isn't important. I'm telling you, get on with it. You as a person are not very important to me. I have things to do. Sorry, got to go. Like that, I, I don't think that that is going to instill in them the sense that you are partnering with them, that you are there to support them in whatever shift they need to make. I think that's a bad message. As is prevaricating the opposite. Yes, yes. Sort of taking so long to make the point that. Well, again, this is not about me and what Monica wants. This is about what we are as a school and what we know is best for students. So the, the clearer I am in expressing what the expectation is and how we're going to move forward, the better it's going to be for everybody. And the more the attention is put on next steps and how to support that person, that's really what they need to leave with clear expectation of clear understanding of what's expected and how you are going to help them to get there and what they need to do. Like that has to really be the core of the conversation. So yeah, too much talking. And again, you know, I'm a talker, Julia, I can talk. So I really had to, I had to be sure that I went into that meeting ready to focus on what was important. And maybe the last one, which is, is that as soon as the meeting gets tough, hmm. you collapse. When I was a brand new administrator, my first administrative job, I was the youngest person on staff. And it took me a long time to assume my responsibility in a constructive way. And there were times that 
a very experienced teacher would question something that I said or did. Um, I mean, it, it, this is just a little bit of a bird walk here, but it was to the degree where in an open faculty meeting, a couple of teachers told the principal with me seated there that they didn't like me and they didn't want me there as the assistant principal. And they were not going to do what I said, whatever I told them to do. So that was the environment <laughs> that I was working in. So he managed that really well. He did. But I knew that. I knew moving forward that I was perceived as unimportant, ineffective, wasn't knowledgeable, was no added value to the school. And so there were times initially in that first month or so that I, I found myself backing down. And I quickly learned that the problem with that was that then what I said to people was deemed as unimportant, that I really wasn't committed about what I was saying, that I didn't believe what I was saying. You know, everything they thought about me just was exemplified in my behavior. And I had a really great, he was a wonderful principal. Um, and he, he coached me. And he really helped me to sort of strategize, okay, what might a response be? You have to have this tough meeting with this teacher. You have to go tell them like, this can't happen. This is not acceptable. So what might that teacher say back to you? And what might your response be? And I found that just a simple response of, I hear you. I'm sorry that you feel that way, but this is how it needs to be. And maybe you need time to think about it. Why don't we just take a break? I can see you're upset. Let's take a break. Let's talk again tomorrow. So just giving yourself a way to get out or for that person to get out and to start a conversation fresh, I think is a really healthy response. Because there are times when you, you're right, Julia, you've had a bad day. You haven't slept the night before. You're dealing with personal issues or other professional issues at the school and you're not at your best. A really good strategy is just to say, you know, I think we need to stop right here. I, don't, I think our the meeting is not is not going in a positive direction, in a constructive direction. Let's just take a break. I hear you. You hear me. Let's meet again tomorrow and see if we can move forward. That's a that's a very healthy approach. To you know, you, you're ready. You're going to give in. <laughs> you can feel it coming on, and uh, and it's going to affect your credibility moving forward. And let me tell you, if you do that. That employee is telling everybody who will listen, yeah, I pushed really hard. She tried to tell me X, Y, Z, but I told her. I told her I wasn't going to deal with that stuff. And boy, she backed down and, no, and right away. That message travels through your company like wildfire, like wildfire. So the damage control you'll have to do if you do that, it's, it's huge. It's significant. What happens when I say yes? But Monica, this isn't fair. This is all, this is all just because I don't agree with you. Often, as we were moving through some sort of new initiative or sometimes multiple initiatives, I would often look at the faculty through this lens. Do they, once they've received the information, once they understand the purpose and the reason for the change, do they lack the will? to make the change or do they lack the skill? And the skill element was always 
pretty straightforward because it's a matter of providing professional development and training, right? And giving them opportunities to practice and making sure they're in a safe environment when they practice and giving them short-term wins and helping them give feedback, et cetera, et cetera, right? If the issue is will, then you really need to unpack that. So is it that the teacher just isn't convinced that really this is a good move forward? Or is it that the teacher has a lot of identity connected to the old strategy? I've been successful as a teacher. My parents really love me. My kids love me. Te uh, parents request me. I'm popular, you know, and now I'm losing that to try out this crazy idea you have. Is that a part of the lack of will? Or is it just that they are not willing to consider what new research tells us, what new strategies might be better than what they're doing, right? So I think a little digging with the teacher and understanding. So talk to me about, talk to me about why you think this is a crazy idea. Help me understand what your thinking is. And I think really unpacking all of that with the teacher. And there were times, honestly, Julia, not often, but there were times that I'd say, you know, I really want to think about what you just said. Can we talk again tomorrow? And I would really need to think through the response they gave me. But also, Julia, there were times that I would work with a teacher and work with a teacher and work with a teacher. And the moment would come that I'd have to face the fact that this teacher is not going to change. And it was either their will that they were unwilling or they just were unable to shift their practice. No matter how much support we gave them in training, they just were not shifting their skills. And that I think is the hardest conversation of all, that you will support, you will support, you will support. But once you see that this person is not making the move they need to make for their students, then you need to be firm in your conversation with the teacher that this is what you expect and this is the timeline by which you expect it. And you can't question that. You have to go in 100% certain that that is what you need to do. And once you get there, there's no turning back. You, are, you have to be firm and clear. And I think that helped me to not lose a lot of sleep because by the time I got to that point, I felt I had done everything I could to support this teacher. And I think that's important that you go into that meeting firm and clear about the fact that you've done all these things to help this professional. It's impacting the students and it's impacting your school. There's, there's a cost to the culture of the school. So you have to go in clear that this is what's best. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't mean that I didn't feel badly after the meeting, that I didn't have a lot of empathy for the teacher. But my bottom line always was, I have two sons. Is that a classroom I would put my own child in? And if it wasn't, then I was really doing a disservice to the, it, to the school and to the students by not being firm and clear. Because let's face it, that's your job. 
right? You're the one who is responsible in the end for the performance of your staff. That's your job. Both Karen and Monica, thank you for your input, which has reinforced the message that none of us ever get it right. I doubt, Karen and Monica, you've got it right either. (laughs) It's just tough. And um, mostly it's tough on the people whose performance you're trying to up, improve, make a success. And that's your job as a leader. But thank you for your clarity on on how, how to do this. And how to remind yourself that that is your job as a leader. So only left to say that um, next week, at on Tuesday, the 15th of November, at 4pm, we have the next of our Expedition Live sessions, where we are on LinkedIn and on Facebook and on Twitter. This time I'm with a different member of the Expedition, Yvette, who has had a long and extraordinarily successful career in the military. She's a very experienced leader who's thought about leadership from almost every angle. And and it'll be fun talking about the progress of the expedition, but also some of the really practical uh, episodes we've had over the last few weeks. This one about performance each meetings the conversation with Erin and Elsa about education and how to lead through trauma. And then actually the, the episode last week, particularly with Catherine, talking about how little progress is being made in STEM, that women are still in a very difficult position and that um, the things almost seem to be going backwards. As, as as Catherine says, heavily because of this illusion that there's a meritocracy, which means that men assume that if there are no women around, it's because this isn't the right job for them. And women assume that if they don't succeed, it must be their fault and nothing to do with the system. So we've had some pretty crunchy episodes over the last few weeks. It'll be fun and interesting to talk through some of the issues and pick up some of your questions, do send them all in with Yvette next week. So that is on LinkedIn, Facebook or Twitter on Tuesday the 15th of November and it's at 4pm UK time. Look forward to it. Lots of love. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We would love you to follow the expedition and provide your own stories and perspectives. You can do this by subscribing to this podcast and joining the Women Emerging Group on LinkedIn, where you can have your say.